This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good morning, New Song Church. How you doing? Well, hello to all of our church family, and we are a full big family today. I want to welcome everybody in Overflow. There's a bunch of you back there. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And uh, as a church family, we get to do something very special this morning. We get to welcome some of our newest family members into this family and commit them to the ways of Jesus today. So if you are one of the parents who is bringing up a child to be dedicated this morning, go ahead and start making your way this way. And church, let's give them a hand as they're coming down. Come on down, fill it up. Look at all these beautiful young people. Hey. <laughs> so good. So good. We are a growing church. We are a fruitful church, it looks like. Good job. <laughs> Marriages are strong, right? We got some room down here if you guys want to scoot this way a little bit. Awesome. So church, when we do this, uh, there, there's three things involved in this. One, we're going we're gonna to dedicate these children unto the Lord. We're going to dedicate these parents uh, to the raising of these children. And we're also, there's a moment for us as the church, as the body of Christ, where we're committing ourselves to these, to these children and to these families. You know, we're a, we're a family. And how many of you know, in a, in a good family, there's a support system. There's people around you. I'm, I'm so grateful that in, in our family, we've got great grandparents and, and cousins and nieces and nephews that come alongside of us and help us uh, to do what we're doing in raising our kids. And as the family of God, that's what we get to participate in. And some of you out here, you're going to have interactions with these kids and with these parents over the years that are going to help build them up and help these kids become who they're called to be. And these families do what God has called them to do. So uh, so first of all, we're going to pray over these, these babies, these kids. Sarah, you're going to lead us in that. And then I'll pray over uh, the parents and we'll pray over us. Amen? Amen. Would you extend your hand towards them? Sarah, take it away. Lord, we just thank you today for these gifts. We thank you, Lord. Children are a gift from you. So we say thank you. Thank you for these little sweet spirits. Thank you that you knitted them together in their mother's womb and that you never put down the knitting needle that you are continuing to just... um, to just perfect that which concerns them, Lord, that you would not forsake the work of your own hands, but you would perfect that which concerns these babies, these children, Lord. I pray that they would come to know you at an early age, God, that they would know you, that they would know your voice like Samuel, that they would hear you, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, that they would recognize your voice and the voice of a stranger they would not follow. I thank you, God, that you lead them by your spirit. I thank you that you guide them lord into all truth i thank you that you'd give them hearts for their moms and for their dads that they would honor the their parents in the lord and that it would go well with them i thank you lord for watching over them their purpose their destiny their path lord i thank you god that um you would just just help them to um to to just just be protected lord protect them lord let no evil befall them no evil come near them lord thank you jesus for what you're doing in their hearts right now lord we believe that you hear us when we pray that you're doing something in their hearts this moment is holy this moment is not um 
It's not just tradition. This is a holy moment. You hear us when we pray, God, and we just lift up these little ones to you. May they do all that you've called them to do, Lord. The stories that you've written for their lives, may they be lived out, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, your word likens children in the hands of parents to arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. And I pray, Lord God, for each one of these parents that they would not just raise these kids in their home to try to help get them into the best schools and the best sports teams and all that, Lord, but that we would have a higher call, that we would raise them to be used for kingdom, to be of kingdom purpose. And so, Lord, we, we thank you, God, that each child is to be raised in the way that it should go. And in order for us to raise them that way, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint these parents to be the parents you've called them to be, to raise up these children to be who you've called them to be. I pray, Lord, that these parents would be able to speak to the lies that the world would try to fill these children with, that these, these parents would have the mind of Christ and know what to say and when to say it and how to say it in such a way that the word of God would take root in the hearts of these children and will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. Lord, I thank you for sending parents, parents who are committed to sending the word into their hearts and sending their children into the world that as arrows are released into the world, Lord, they're not just released to hopefully survive, but they're released to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. So Lord, I pray that you would help these parents equip them, prepare them to be that. And Lord, I thank you for us as a church family. Lord, I pray for the interactions that are gonna take place within this family of God and raising these children and, and helping to come alongside these parents and, and, and support them, be a support system for them. I pray that words will come out of this house for these families and these, these children, Lord, that will shape them and help them, Lord. Help us, Lord, let us be a church full of support, uh, uh, people who are a support system for the family, Lord God. Let it be so, let it be done, let it be now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. okay, okay, now. This is, this is kind of the fun part here, all right? If you're, and you don't have to do this, but if you are willing to do this, would you kind of lift up your child right now? Is this kind of like Simba moment of dedication here? There you go. If somebody could, yes. Yeah, there you go. And, and as they do this, we're gonna, we're gonna speak over them, our, our word declaration over them. If somebody could give me the, hey, that whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. But we're gonna say this over them. We say, they are the head and not the tail. They are above only and not beneath. They are blessed coming in and blessed going out and everything they set their hands to will prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can go back to your seats or, or actually first you can take your children to the appropriate children's ministry classes that they belong in. Let's do that first. And if you have your Bible, if you would go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter six and Luke chapter 15, aren't you so glad that you get to be a part of a church where God shows up? Aren't you grateful for that? I hope you know if you're, if you're new to New Song Church, we want to host the presence of God in this place. Man, we love Jesus. And we believe that, that church is not just a, a moment of coming together to sing some songs and hear a good talk, but that we are supposed to encounter the living God. And uh, I believe that that is taking place today. And I believe that's going to take place as we open up the word of God today. If you're, if you're new with us, we're, we're in a series right now called How to Pray. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at how to, how to pray. And, and I've, I've really been encouraged by this series so far. We've gotten some feedback from our church. We're three weeks into it now. 
but we started off this series talking about kind of the basics of prayer, and then last week we talked about the pause of prayer, and, and we've gotten some feedback from the church that's been really encouraging. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, but when you're a family like this, you've got people from all different stages of their walk with God. There are people who are brand new to the things of God, brand new to prayer. They've never really understood prayer, and we're, we're getting some great feedback that God's showing them things about prayer and how to relate to God, but... but but I'm also encouraged that, that people who have been praying for years, like veterans of, of the family of God who've been praying, are, are learning and discovering what it means to, prayer, to, to pray and, and discovering some new prayer practices that they're working into their life. So wherever you are, I believe that God is going to speak to you today. So to catch you up, uh, we, began, we began this series three weeks ago talking about uh, this, this idea that, that as the people of God, we're not just to be people who occasionally kind of throw up some prayers and kind of hope for the best, but beyond just people who pray, we want to be a praying people, persons of prayer, people who, who live our life and our life is lived in communion with God. That's what prayer is. It's, it's about relationship. It's about communing with God, connecting with God. And, and it's not just something we do when things are bad. It's something we should be living out every day. And so we said in that first week, if you're going to do that, uh, three things, you got to keep it simple, keep it real and keep it up. We keep it simple because when things are complicated, they normally don't work their way into the fabric of our life. Right. And we keep it real because God is real, right? You guys know that, right? God is real. And in order for us to have a real connection with him, we have to be real with him. And God already knows the real stuff going on in your life. And what he invites you to do is to bring it to him. God can't help a fake version of you. So you need to bring him the real stuff, the real issues, be real with God in prayer. And then we keep it up. And that just means that there, there's things that we work into our life. There's decisions that we make related to prayer that we don't just make once, but that we make and that we keep making on the daily. If you were here last week, Pastor Sarah started working us through this acronym that we're going to be working through, P-R-A-Y, pray. And she talked about the P. Who remembers what the P is? The P stands for pause, right? That when we pray, before we just jump into like machine gunning these requests before the Lord and quoting back scripture unto God, that there needs to be a moment where we settle the house. You guys remember that? We settle the house like life is like a snow globe. And sometimes you just need to slow down and pause and let things settle a little bit so that you can connect with, with God. I, I love the statement that she said, God is at work. Am I at wait? Sometimes we miss out on what God wants to do because we're, we're living at such a frantic pace that we don't slow down to connect with him. So you got to hit the, hit the pause button. Today we're going to move into uh, the second letter in our acronym PRAY, which is R, which is for, stands for rejoice. And I've got some good news for you today. You, you ready for some good news? You know, in a world where we get a lot of bad news, I got some good news today. There's a reason to rejoice. There's a reason to rejoice when it comes to prayer. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And what we're going to do is we're going to start working our way uh, through the, the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, to, or actually we're going to read this together. And I, and I want you to do something. Would you stand for the Word of God, for the reading of the Word of God? Jesus said this, in this manner, therefore pray. And if you would say it with me, uh, our Father, let's try that again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray over us today. Lord, I thank you for your word. 
And we thank you, Lord, over the next few moments that you would make it come alive to each and every person in this room. And Lord, we are here to encounter you. And I pray that we would get a revelation of the person we can engage with in prayer today. I pray, Lord, that you would show us truth today and that that truth would set us free when it comes to our prayer life. Lord, I pray that you would speak an individual specific word to every individual person in this room. Lord, only you can do that. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to do that. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, and you should be, because that's a good thing to do when you're at church, you should write this down. Remember, when it comes to prayer, remember relationship. Remember relationship. Prayer is not just reciting these, these things unto the Lord. It's not about getting this formula just right. It's about relationship. We're connecting with a real God. Jesus said this at the beginning of his prayer. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray. Notice that he doesn't tell us to pray this prayer exactly. He doesn't do that because this is not a verbatim prayer. This is a prototype prayer. This is a model prayer. This is a prayer that we base, uh, that we, we model our prayer life after. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray this prayer. The danger, though, is that if we're not careful, we can recite this prayer and become disconnected from the power of the prayer itself and from the power and the, and the engagement that comes from having a relationship with the person that we're praying, we're praying to. In fact, before Jesus gets into talking about in this manner, therefore pray, a couple of verses before that, he says this in verse seven, he says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Other translations, he says, don't use meaningless repetition. He says, don't heap up empty phrases in one translation. In another one, he says, don't keep on babbling. In other words, remember, this is about relationship. And when you have a relationship with someone, I don't know about you, but I don't just say the same phrases to the people I'm in relationship with every day. Like I don't get home from work and walk up to my wife, Sarah, and say, hi, Sarah, how are you? How was your day today? My day was great. Give me some food and some money. And then the next day, hi, Sarah, how are you? My day was great. Give me some food and some money. Like I don't just recite the same thing over and over again because how do I mean, you know, that would be weird in a relationship. And the same way, that's not what God wants us to do when it comes to prayer. This prayer is a model. It's, it's something that we can look at as a model for how to relate to God. And so it's interesting what Jesus does at the beginning of this prayer. He, he actually introduces us to God, or, or in some ways, he reintroduces us to God. And in doing so, he gives us the reason for rejoicing. Because when you truly come to know who God is, what God's about, what God is capable of, and you understand that you can connect with him, that's cause for rejoicing. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, to know the Savior is to find a fountain of joy in his acquaintance. To know him is better is to, enter, to know him better is to enter into the joy of the Lord. So, so here's the thing. When it comes to rejoicing, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this before, but typically we don't rejoice randomly. Like we don't rejoice for just no reason whatsoever. There, there's a motivation. Whenever we're rejoicing, there's always a motivation behind our rejoicing. Well, let me say it like this. Rejoicing is rooted in a recognition. Rejoicing is rooted in recognition. You might want to write that down. It's rooted in recognition. Whenever, think about it, you go to a football game and you rejoice at different moments during the football game because your team's defense stopped the other team's offense. You recognize something positive and you rejoice in that. Your team's offense scored against the other team's defense. You recognize that, is the significance of that, and you rejoice, right? You cheer. You, you, your team wins the game 
And you recognize it. That's good. My team won. I'm for this team. They won the game. And you rejoice in recognition of your team winning the game. We rejoice when we find out we're going to have a baby. We rejoice when we, we, we find out our kids are going to have a baby. We're going to be grandparents. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old yet. I'm really not. But I'm so excited about being a grandparent. Like I can, I, I, I can wait because my oldest is only 15, so I've got a ways to go. But, <laughs> but I really can't wait to be like a grandpa. Like I've got my name picked out. I'm all set. It's great. Yeah, right. I'm going to be Pippaw. Pippaw. Because when my kids were little, they called me Dida. So it's like the, it's like the grandpa version of that. It's going to be Pippaw and Grandma Blunt is what we're going to call Sarah. <laughs> but it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I'm going to rejoice when I find that out someday. I'm going to rejoice in that. It's going to be an exciting day. We rejoice when we get a promotion. We rejoice when we make the team. We rejoice when we make that big sale. We rejoice when we get into that dream college. There, there's a moment of recognition. We recognize something. And that recognition of that thing causes us, gives us cause for rejoicing. And we can rejoice when it comes to to God in prayer because we recognize who God is and what he's all about and what he's capable of. It, it's cause for rejoicing. The Bible says this in James 1, 17, rejoice in the recognition that every good and perfect gift is from above. You don't just rejoice, you rejoice in recognition. In Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord. Notice you don't just rejoice, you're rejoicing in the Lord. You're rejoicing in knowing who the Lord is and knowing he's for you and not against you. You're rejoicing because like Paul says earlier in this letter in Philippians, he says, he who began a work, a good work is faithful to complete it. We, we rejoice in that. We rejoice that he's not done with us yet. That's worth rejoicing. Again, Spurgeon says this, rejoice uh, in the Lord always for the, in recognizing God as your God, you find a source of everlasting joy. Rejoicing is rooted in recognition. And so what Jesus does at the beginning of this, this prototype prayer, this model prayer that he's giving us, in the first couple lines, he reintroduces us to God. So we can't, so we can recognize who he is and what he's all about. Because, because is it possible that, that part of the reason why we struggle to come to God in prayer is because we don't really know who he is. We don't really know how to relate to him. We don't really know how to connect with him. And so out of that, out of relating to him the wrong way, we don't connect with him the right way. You know, I've noticed something. You, you probably noticed this before. How you're introduced to someone plays a big role in how you relate to them. How you're if you're introduced to the right person the wrong way, you, you can have a perception of them that's not true to who they are just based on what you, how you're introduced. And sometimes it takes us a while to overcome the introduction, even though that may not be true about that person. When I, when I think of this, I think of... Uh, the book by, by Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. If you've ever read this book or seen this movie, uh, at the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to this character named Boo Radley. And we're not really actually introduced to him. Like we don't meet him in that moment. We're, we're actually just introduced to the idea of who he is or, or who he might be uh, as, as described by a 10-year-old kid named Jim Finch. And this kid, in describing him, he, he says this about him. He says he's half man, he's half monster, he's all terror. So right off the bat, there's a perception here of who Boo Radley is. And then Jim goes on to talk about how based on his footprint, based on his footprint, he's six and a half feet tall, he eats squirrels and any cats he can get his hands on, 
His hands are stained with blood from all the raw animals he's eating. He has a scar on his face. He walks with a limp based on, and, and, and he drools. This is all based on a footprint, right? <laughs> Pretty impressive footprint. But, but here's what happens is we're introduced to him a certain way. And now in the movie, we, we kind of see him. We relate to him from that perspective until later on in the movie, at the very end of the movie, at the very end of the book, we actually meet him and we discover that he isn't like that at all. He's actually kind and compassionate. He's, he's somewhat withdrawn, but he's been connecting with, with, with uh, Jim and his sister Scout, giving them gifts, watching over them. In fact, he turns out to be the hero of the movie when a man attacks uh, Jim's sister Scout at the end of the movie. He actually saves her from this man who's attacking her. And so what Harper Lee does is she, she kind of pulls this bait and switch in the writing of this book where she introduces you to a character. You relate to him a certain way, and at the very end you discover that how you've been relating to him the whole way has been the wrong way. Now I tell you that because what if you were introduced to God the wrong way? Yeah. And what if how you, were, you relate to him is based on your introduction, but your introduction was not the right introduction? And is it possible that that's why at the very beginning of this prayer, Jesus says, hey, let me reintroduce you to who God is. So Jesus reintroduces us to God in the beginning of his model prayer because he wants to make sure you're relating to him the right way. How does he do it? Matthew 6, verse 9, he says this, our Father in heaven, our Father. Notice he doesn't say, when you, when you pray, pray this way, King of the cosmos, ever-present one, all-knowing one, all-powerful one, creator of the universe. He, he doesn't say that. All of that is true about God. But that's not how he introduces God to us. Why? Because he wants us to relate to God from the perspective of intimacy. And so that's why he says, our Father. The first thing that Jesus wants us to see in approaching God in prayer is that he is our Father. Look at the person beside you and say, he's our Father. In fact, three times in this section of Scripture, in Matthew 6, he, he talks about how God is our Father. And you have to understand, in, in the Bible times, when, when Jesus was saying this, we kind of blow over this today. But in Bible times, like, this was earth-shattering news. Like, to them, God was distant and God was powerful, but God is also someone you don't want to mess with. And it's just, let's just stay out of God's way. Let's just try to, you know, try not to, like, I, if I can stay off of his radar, I'd rather just do that. This is how people saw God. And and to be honest with you, a lot of people still relate to God from this perspective. Pete Gregg says this, After more than 25 years in pastoral ministry, 20 of them teaching on prayer, I have come to the conclusion that the biggest, most, most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. A lot of people, when they think of God, they think of this scowling king of the cosmos kind of character who's up in heaven looking down at us, looking down at us. And he's continually disappointed with our performance. He's continually, constantly disapproving of our life, perpetually disappointed with our actions and our, and our choices. And, and let me just tell you, if you see God that way, if that's how you relate to God, you're going to have a hard time going to him in prayer. Because you typically don't go hang out with the mean grandpa on the corner who wants to keep you off his lawn, right? And so if that's how you see God, you're not going to want to connect with him. You're not going to want to have intimate connection and relationship and talk to him because you're afraid he might smite you with a lightning bolt. And so Jesus points us to a different reality. He says, when you pray, understand you're praying to a father. 
a father. The, the word he uses, the Greek word in scripture for father is the word pater. It means a nourisher, a protector, an upholder, a source of life, a father. But, but the ultimate version of that. He's the ultimate source of love. He's the ultimate uh, source of, of everything that you could ever want, everything that you could ever need. But beyond that, Jesus actually, when he, when he was talking to his disciples, he was teaching them how to pray, speaking in the language that he was speaking in at this time, which was Aramaic, the word he uses for father is the word Abba. He says, when you pray, he actually says, pray our Abba. And when he uses this word, it's a, it's a word of, of endearment. It's a word of familiarity. It's a word that, that, that speaks to dependency and love and intimacy. It was actually a word that would have been used, Abba was a word that would have been used by Jewish toddlers to describe their relationship with their father. It would, it would be on par with like a kid coming up to their dad and calling them Dada or, or Daddy. You know, in the, in the movie Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, when, when Darth Vader reveals to Luke that he is his father, right? This is a powerful moment. He doesn't say, Luke, I am your dada. He doesn't do that. He says, Luke, I'm your father. In this moment, what he's revealing to him is origin, not intimacy. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't use a word that speaks to origin. He uses a word that speaks to intimacy. In essence, here's what Jesus says. When you come to your father to pray, when you come to God to pray, I want you to imagine a toddler crawling up into the lap of a loving father to connect and to commune and to talk with him. And let me just tell you something. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you surrender your ways over to the ways of God and, and Jesus is your savior and your Lord, then God is your father. Galatians tells us this in verse 26 of chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Your sons and your daughters of God if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. In Galatians 4 verse 6, one chapter over, it says, And because you are sons, because you're a daughter, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, look at this, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit within you saying, continually reminding you, Hey, this is your dada. This is intimacy. This is relationship. So, so here's a question for you. When you think about God, what comes to mind? How do you see God? A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now that's a powerful statement. It's one of the most important things about your life. Is Why is that? Here's why. Because your view of God will determine your relationship with God. If you view God as distant, you'll be distant from Him. If you view God the wrong way, what you think of Him will determine how you relate to Him. And so Jesus wants you to see Him as a father. Now, here's the problem with that. A lot of us had really bad earthly fathers that have given us an image of a father that causes it to become difficult for us to relate to God as a father. A lot of us had dads, and, and let me just say this, it, it maybe it wasn't that your dad was abusive. Maybe it was just that your dad was distant. Maybe it was that your dad was unfaithful. Maybe it, that your dad wasn't there. Maybe your dad was mean. Whatever the case may be, you, you have this, this father figure in your role. And, and what I think the devil wants to do, the enemy, the devil's real, by the way. Jesus talked about him. He's real. What he wants to do is he wants to get in between you and God. And one of the ways he does this 
is he puts an image of a father in front of you. And then what happens is you can't wipe the face of your earthly father off the face of Father God. That, that, man, that, that's just kept coming back to me this week. Some of you, you need to wipe the face of your father off of Father God. And let me just say this, even if your father was really good, I had a great father, incredible father. I love my father. But the reality is, as great as my father was and is, he pales in comparison to who God is. The greatest father in human history isn't perfect. And yet God the father is. And so listen, the role of a father is big. And, and if you're a father in this house, recognize how powerful the role is that you have. The imprint that you have is on, on your children. It's, it's powerful. But, but, but understand, we all have fathers in the world. And, and what you can't do is you can't, you can't relate to God based on any earthly relationship. Because it's never going to work. It's never going to measure up. You have to learn how to wipe off the, the face of the different relationships you've had in this world off of the face of God and who he wants to be. So Jesus says, I want you to see him as a father. And then what Jesus does a little bit later in scripture is he gives us a view of who this father is and what he looks like. And it's one of the great stories that Jesus gives us. I think no, no greater story gives us an illustration into the heart of who God is than the story in Luke 15 called the story of the prodigal son, or in the Eastern culture, they would call it the story of the running father. Because it's not just a story about a son who runs away from God. It's about a father who runs to the son when the son begins to turn back to him. And so I want to I kind of go through this story briefly with you this morning because I, I, I want you to get a glimpse into who Father God is. Because once you get this, it'll help you to relate to him and connect with him and pursue him in prayer and pursue him in relationship the way he would desire for you to do that. So Luke chapter 15 Verse 11, Jesus says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, this is two verses in, and let me just tell you, there is so much here already. I mean, I'm, we, we don't necessarily get it all because we are, are from the Western culture, but in the Eastern culture, and specifically to the Hebrew people of, of the day that Jesus would have been talking to in this moment, there's so much significance in this. So this, this story says, Jesus says there's this guy, he's a father and he's got two sons. And his younger son comes to him and says, I want my inheritance. Now, the way it worked in, at this time is if you were a father, if you were the patriarch, there would be a moment when you started to recognize that my life is coming to an end. Uh, and so I need to start preparing so that I can leave this inheritance to my, to my family, to my children. And so you would begin to prepare everything. You might be selling some stuff off to prepare so that when the time comes, when you do pass on, your children can take what you've been given. They can receive of what you have for them and they can, they can, it can be divided. Now, in, in how it would work is your oldest son would get a double portion. So in this story, there's two sons. So the inheritance would have been divided into three. The first son would get two thirds and the second son would get one third. And the younger son comes to his father and he says, Father, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now, this was a massive slap in the face. In doing this, in the culture that, that Jesus is speaking to, his father has the right to have his son stoned to death. Because basically, he's disrespecting his father and he's saying to him, I want nothing to do with you. 
I wish you were dead so I could get from you what I really want. I don't want you. What I want is what you can give me. I want your money. I want the wealth. And, and ideally, you would be dead so I could just have it. But since you're not dead, I'm just going to ask you to give it to me so I can get out of here. Like this is a, is a massive moment of rejection to the Father. And I want you to know, if you've rejected Father God, rejected Father God, I want you to see how God still sees you. It goes on to say this in verse 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together. So his father gives him his inheritance. He sells stuff off. He prepares so that he can have all the stuff. And it says he journeyed, the, the prodigal son, he journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with, here's where we get it, prodigal living. In other words, uh, extravagant spending and, and sinful, reckless, uh, wasteful living. His inheritance, his father's wealthy. He sells off, prepares all this for him. And he goes out and very quickly wastes it all away. It says in verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. So very quickly, he spins up everything. A famine hits the land and now he is desperate. So desperate that look at what it says here. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. This would have been a Gentile citizen. We know that because of what it says next. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. The, the people that Jesus would have been speaking to, when he would have said this to them, there would have been an audible gasp among the Hebrew people. He's talking about living among pigs and wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. Like to a Hebrew, this is, you can't, like we have nothing to do with these unclean animals. And so what, what, what Jesus is pointing to is he has hit an all-time low. He is in a bad, bad place. It says in verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired, one of your hired servants. So he's in this place of desperation, and he starts to think, you know, if I if I was home, I'd have it better than this. If I was a servant, a slave in in my family, they eat better than I am. Maybe I can go home, and I know I can't be a son anymore because I've rejected the father. I could never be a part of the family again. But at least I could go back, and maybe I can work around there, and 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 maybe over time I can experience some of the favor. At least I'll be close to my family and, and around them. And so he begins to journey back home. And he begins, you see here, he begins to start kind of rehearsing this, I'm sorry, dad speech. He says, father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you notice, he recognizes he's wrong. I recognize I've sinned. I've made a mistake. I've been going the wrong way. I've been doing things the wrong way. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you, father. And so now he's turning back to his father. At one point, the beginning of the story, he's turning away from his father. He's rejecting his father. And now he's coming back. It says this in verse 20, and this is where it gets really good. And he arose and came to his father. But he, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. That means he gave him like a big bear hug and kissed him. I, I love that phrase. It says, but when he was still afar off. His father saw him. You know what that tells me? His father was looking for him. That in the midst of his father overseeing his home and his family and all the stuff that he was doing, his eyes kept looking up at the horizon. 
looking for the silhouette of his son, looking for the turning back of his son, just waiting and hoping that his, that his son would recognize the error of his ways and come back home. And when he sees him, he rushes to him. He runs to him with his arms wide open. Listen, Hebrew men didn't run. That's a big moment. He's running to him. That's why they call it the story of the running father. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned, the prodigal son. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, now what he's doing here in verse 18, he says this exact same thing. So he's been rehearsing this. This is what he wants to say to his father. He's been rehearsing it. He said this exact same thing. But in verse 18, he says something else. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. But here's what, what Jesus shows us here. Jesus shows us as a father doesn't let him make that statement. The father interrupts him before he can say that. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He gives him gifts. And each one of these gifts recognize you're not coming back as a slave. You're not coming back as a servant. You're coming back to me as a son. I'm putting a robe on you. His son comes back probably looking terrible. He's been living among the pigs. He's, a, he's probably sick and frail and weak and dirty and nasty. And his father covers him like God covers us with a robe of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ comes upon us. And now we don't look like that mess anymore. We look like Jesus Christ. He puts a ring on his finger. The ring is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol that says, hey, I'm bringing you back into the family and now you have spending power. You have power. What I, what I own, you have. You're, it just gets you back on the books. You can start cutting checks. You can start making purchases and making deposits based on the family income. And he gives him shoes. You know, slaves didn't have shoes. And his son probably comes home barefoot and he puts these shoes on his feet. And by putting shoes on his feet, he says, hey, you're not going to be a slave. He restores him. What Jesus shows us here is that the father is waiting for his son to return. And when the son returns, when the child that's away begins to return, the father's heart is to run to them and to restore them to a place of righteousness. And they throw a party, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf, the father says, here, and let's kill it and let's eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Jesus, in this story, paints a picture of the Father God, this Father that we pray to as being a Father who is extravagant in love, extravagant in grace, extravagant in forgiveness, who runs to you with open arms if you will simply turn from your wicked ways and return to them. I remember years ago when... I had gotten to this place in my life where I had grown up in church, but I, I, was, I was sinful and I had all sorts of problems. Me and Sarah were married. We were a couple years into our marriage, but I had a pornography addiction and I was full of rage and I was full of anger and I was full of, of, of fear. And, and out of all of this, I, I was hiding and, 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 I, and I got to this place where everything began to go away. My marriage was falling apart. My, my, my life was falling apart. My job was falling apart. And it was from that place from that place of complete desperation, it was from that place that I turned to Father God and I said, God, I give up. My ways are not working. I'm not finding peace. I'm not finding joy. I'm not finding anything in this lifestyle that I'm living. And I, I give up and I surrender unto you. And you know what I found? God didn't say to me in that moment, how dare you? How dare you think? You've been raised in church. You know better. We'll just see. We'll just see how you do. That's not what I found. I found a running father who ran to me when I turned back and embraced me 
and put a robe of righteousness on me and gave me strength and authority and didn't bring me into the family as a slave, but gave me a place in the family as a son. This is the heart of God. He's a father and he wants you to relate to him this way. Pete Gregg says this, the deeper we receive our identity as dearly loved children, the greater our desire to spend time with our father in prayer. We will start to tell him everything and dare to ask him anything because we, not, we now know that, as Jesus puts it elsewhere, your father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. God is our father and you need to see him that way. Second thing that Jesus does in this opening line of this prayer is he makes this statement. He says, hallow, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And in doing so, here, here's what he's speaking to. This is the second thing when it comes to, to prayer, something you need to do in prayer is you need to value who God is. Value who he is. Jesus balances this idea of God's a father and you need to relate to him like a child crawling up into the lap of a, of a good father. He balances that with, oh yeah, and he's God. He's God and you need to see him. You need to hollow that he's God. You need to recognize the godness of God. He's God. That word hallowed means to honor, to respect, to consecrate. It means that, that you, would, you would put the value to him that he is due. That you would see him for who he really is and value the awesomeness of God. You know, I think one of the reasons why sometimes we struggle in prayer is because we've devalued God. We don't recognize the value of who God is and the, and the, the awesome privilege it is that we can have audience with him in prayer. That we can come to him and connect with God. Like, are you getting this this morning? God, you can relate to him and he wants you to relate to God as a father. This is nuts. Like, imagine if I came up to you and I said, Hey, I've got some really good news for you. There's this guy that, that I know, and he knows you and he loves you. He knows you at your worst and he loves you. And by the way, this dude is, has got everything you could ever want. All the wisdom, all the strength, he's powerful, he's wise, he's intelligent, he's loaded, he's rich, and he wants to connect with you. He knows you and loves you and wants to connect with you, and he wants to share everything he has with you. And all you have to do is reach out to him in this particular way. I bet if I actually told you that, you're going to reach out to him in that particular way. Whether it's writing a letter, whether it's Morse code, whatever, you're going to do it. Because of who is, is you have access to and what you can have and having access to them. Listen, that's God. That's God. Yes, he's our father, but he is God. A.W. Tozer says, God is infinitely powerful, awesome in his majesty, unfathomably wise and possesses boundless wealth beyond human comprehension. The greatness of God is beyond our imagination and his resources are without limit. That's God. That's God. That's who we can come and pray to and talk to and commune with. And yet sometimes we don't pray and we miss out. R.A. Torrey says prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. It's prayer. David Jeremiah says prayer is the way you defeat the devil, reach the lost, restore the backslider, strengthen the saints, send missionaries out, cure the sick, accomplish the impossible and know the will of God. It's through prayer. And yet sometimes we don't pray. We don't pray. Listen, God can't answer prayers you don't pray. I've said this before at New Song. It bears repeating. 100% of the prayers you don't pray are going to go unanswered. We miss out because we don't pray. 
We don't hollow his name. So hollowing his name is recognizing the greatness of our God and the greatness and the beauty of the access we have to come before him and, and, and pray. And notice we don't just hollow God, we hollow his name. We hollow his name. And in, in, in making that statement, Jesus is pointing us to this idea. You know, a name says a lot about someone. People have, have different names. Like I'm a, I'm a, my name is Josh, but I have different names, different titles that people know me by. I'm Pastor Josh to many of you. I am, uh, I'm a dad to, to a few people. I am a, a husband to one person. Amen. I'm, I'm a son. I'm, I'm, some people relate to me as a cousin, as a net, like uh, there's different names that you can give me and they speak to different ways I connect with different people, different attributes of who I am and who I'm called to be. And same way, God has all these different names and they speak to attributes of his character and his nature and his heart. Uh, let me read you just some of the names of God. And as I read these, I want these to like really let some of this sink into you. This is who God is. And hollowing his name is recognizing the power of this God being in your life. He is Elohim. He is the one to whom all power belongs. He's El Shaddai, the almighty God, almighty God. Elion, the most high God above whom there is no other. There's no one above God, no one more powerful than him, no one wiser than him, no one better than him. El Elam, the everlasting God who is without beginning or end. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. Do you need provision sometimes? The Lord is our provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. You need peace? Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. You need healing? Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, which, which means that he, he leads me into victory. Anybody need victory? Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd, the one who protects me and leads me and guides me. Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there, the one who is with me day and night. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. These are just some of the names of God and they speak to the character and nature and heart of God. And when you hallow the name of God, you hallow that that's who God is. That's what God is about. And that's who he wants to be. And that's what he wants to be about in my life. We're, we're hollowing the power of this incredible God who we can have a relationship with. We're, we're valuing him for who he is. And we're speaking to the value that he not only has in our life, but he can have in the world around us. You know, as I, I think about this relationship, remember it's about relationship. You, when, when you have a relationship with someone and you value that relationship, there, there's, there's a way, there's like virtues that are born out of that, right? Like with me and my wife, Sarah, I, I value my relationship with her. And because I value my relationship with her, there's certain virtues that I've worked into my life that I live out, that I live from. Because I value her, I'm gonna make time for her. I'm gonna find time in my schedule to make sure I connect with her. Because I value her, I want her to be heard. I want her to be seen. I value her voice in my life, what she can say to me. I value her voice in the life of other people. I want other people to get to know her. I don't just, I, I don't just wanna know her, I want other people to know her because I, I recognize what, what, how great she is and how valuable she can be in other people's lives. Because I value her, there's certain virtues that are worked into my life. Listen, when you really come to value, hollow the name of God, you value him, it's gonna lead to some actions. It's gonna lead to some virtues that are worked out in your life. When you hollow God, when you truly value who God is as you should, it will spring forth in actions that champion the kingdom of God and the will of God in your life and in this world. When you hollow God, and it will lead to faith, and it will lead to hope, and it will lead to confidence. Like, I don't, I don't know what you may be facing today, 
But that God that I just listed all those names of who he is, that God is your God or can be your God. And he wants you to connect with him like a father, like an Abba, that God. This is who God is. And this is how he wants to relate to you. And so we have in this opening line, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not just this introductory kind of line that Jesus gives us before we jump into, you know, the prayer. It's not just like, hey, let's, let's dap up the father real quick before I start giving up all my, my requests, making my requests. No, no, it's so much, it's so much more than that. Through this opening line, God, Jesus is reintroducing us to this God that we get to pray to introducing us to him as this incredible father that we can have an intimate, close, personal relationship with, but also introducing us and reminding us, hey, he's God and he's awesome and he's powerful. And so here's what Jesus wants you to recognize. That God is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. He wants to help you. He loves you. And that's cause for rejoicing. <laughs> That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can come to God and we can boldly approach this throne of grace because that God is, is my God and that God is for me. He, he, he's not just a personal God, he's a powerful God. And he wants to be in my life, he wants to be in your life and prayer is how I connect with him in a real, powerful, intimate way. Pete Gregg says this, prayer is more than you could ever imagine because God is so much more beyond what you can conceive. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to take a moment right now and I want you to just quiet yourself. Have a little pause moment here. Practice what we've heard. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Invite the Holy Spirit by saying this statement. You maybe say it under your breath. You maybe just think this in your mind, but I want you to just take a moment and just, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today in this message. Oh God, my Father, what an awesome opportunity is to know you and to commune with you. And Lord, I pray for every individual in this room that there would be a marked remembrance on them that would lead them to rejoicing, that we can connect with you, God, with the Father who loves us, with our Abba, who wants to minister to us, who wants to help us, who wants to bring about his kingdom through us. What an awesome privilege it is to know you. And Jesus, we thank you for making that possible, that you died on the cross, you shed your blood, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be covered. We recognize in our own self, we're sinful. We make mistakes. We fall short of your kingdom. We, we fall short of your perfection. But through your son, Jesus, through his blood, you've made it possible for us to enter into real relationship with God. We thank you for that, Lord. We're grateful for that, Lord. And I pray that over the next few moments as we go to you in this moment of prayer connection, Lord, that you would minister to those who need ministry today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, would you stand with me? We're going to go back into a moment of worship. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come down at this time. Two things. One, if you're here today and you don't know 
the God I've been talking about like you should. Maybe you, you recognize today that you are that prodigal, that you've turned away from God. Maybe you have rejected God. You've rejected Him with your lifestyle. You've rejected Him with your sin. You've turned away from Him. I want you to know He's just waiting for you to turn back. And the moment you'll turn back and say, God, I surrender unto you, His arms are wide open. He'll embrace you. And He wants to bring you into His family. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and when I say that, listen, I'm not talking about lifting a hand, praying a prayer, and then doing your thing and hoping God blesses it. To make Jesus the Lord of your life, He has to be Lord, which means He's the boss, which means I don't live based on what I want. I live based on what He wants. That's what this means. And, and so God's inviting you. Listen, Jesus died for you and He's inviting you to die to self, to follow after Him. If you've never made that decision, you need to make that decision because it's on the other side of Him being your Lord that He becomes your Savior. Jesus didn't come to be fire insurance for you so you just can do whatever you want and still go to heaven someday. It's not how it works. In order for him to be your savior, he has to be your Lord. If you've never done that today, we invite you to this incredible relationship. And just so you know, it's the best life you could ever imagine. The life that you think you, you want, the life that you're pursuing, let me ask you, is it really working? <laughs> it's not. This life that Jesus offers you, it's not gonna be perfect because we live in an imperfect world. But I'm telling you, knowing that he's with you changes everything, changes everything. So if you've never made that decision, we wanna invite you to that. And then here's the other thing. And there may be several other things. If you have any need, we want to pray with you. But maybe you're here today, and when I made that statement, it resonated with you. You need to wipe the face of your earthly father off the face of God. And I believe that God wants to help you with that today. I believe if you'll come down, and listen, we don't have to get into your history, but if you just come down and say, hey, I need, I, I need prayer. I need to wipe the face of my earthly father off the face of God. If that's you today, we would just love to lay hands on you and pray with you and help you to engage in what God wants to do in your heart. So if, if either of those things speaks to you or anything else, you have, you're, you're dealing with stuff in your finances, you're dealing with trauma at home, you're dealing with, it's, it's almost Thanksgiving and you're thinking about all that. I mean, whatever the case may be, if it matters to you, it matters to God. You need healing, whatever. We would love to pray with you today. So, so don't leave with any kind of burden. Leave those burdens at the altar, amen? Lord, I just pray that every individual in this room who has a prayer need would be drawn to your altars to receive what you have for them today. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.